Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. Tonight we have Emma Fitzpatrick, musician and actress. Emma, how you doing? I'm so great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is our pleasure. And we're going to get to the acting stuff in a bit. Uh, you are also a musician. Uh, and I want to ask you right off the bat, where does your passion lie? Is it split between acting and music? Is one greater than the other? I I get this a lot. And um, it's interesting because my I, I grew up in like a musical theater background. That's what my college education is in. Um, and that's the work I did for a couple of years outside of college. So to me, they've always been one and the same. Um, I grew up on like old school, old Hollywood musicals, um, Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire. So the, the triple threat was like what I would always sought to be. Uh -huh. I'm not, I'm a sort of a crap dancer, but, um, but definitely honing my acting and singing skills have always been equal to me. So I, right out of college, like I said, I, I worked in musical theater for a while. I sang on a cruise ship. Um, I lived in Tokyo and sang at Disney there. And then uh, after that contract was over, I just thought, you know, I've never really given just acting, acting a shot. Mm -hmm. um, I've always been a singer, you know, from the time I was very little, I was singing at church and in high school plays and things. So um, I thought I'll just go shoot my shot at this, this thing that I've never done before and see how it goes. And it works out. Uh, it worked yeah, out. 15 years later. So do you consider yourself lucky and blessed to do the two things you love the most? Absolutely. And uh, actually, a lot of the film and TV roles that I've gotten have had some component of music to them. I've had the opportunity to um, to write music for for scores or um, or even like my character is a musician. So I've gotten to write songs for, you know, episodes or whatever. So it's been it's been really cool to be able to intertwine those two things. That's um, sweet. And I, I th yeah, I think it gives me like, I don't know, it keeps it interesting for me in, in LA. The first it's very hard to get started um, in Hollywood. And mm -hmm. I, I remember just feeling very uh, powerless in my creative life the first couple of years, because it's a lot of waiting for people to give you a call and yeah. give you an opportunity. And so I started a band. Um, oh, I've got a very needy cat. Oh, Sorry. We all have one of those. <laughs> If I lock him out, he'll just be screaming. I so this you. is better. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I started a band out there because I thought, well, at least I'll be able to sing whenever I want to and, and play shows whenever I want to. So um, that was a great catharsis for me, especially while I was trying to build my my career as an actor. Now, would you say, uh, looking back, that some of the roles you have gotten, the music part of it has helped you in getting some roles? Uh, for sure. I don't know. I think, I think just stage acting in general, maybe. Um, and I, I was always very self-conscious of that in college because there's sort of this, this belief that a stage actor is obviously we're trained to be bigger yeah. and, you know, reach the back of the room. So I was always very cognizant of adjusting myself for the size of screen I was on. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think having any sort of musicality or any passion for music has always has always helped me for sure whether or not i'm like incorporating that into the role or 
just having, like I said, having another creative outlet. Yeah. Now for you, would you say it's night and day doing stage as opposed to screen acting? I would say night and day. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't acted on stage in a really long time. Um, I've performed music obviously, but um, I always, it's hard to describe that there's this like so much preparation going into a film or television role. Um, and then you wait around for a very long time on set. Um, and then, and then you have to just be ready uh, emotionally, physically to perform in the moment where, uh, stage feels much more like a marathon. You know, you're, you're usually doing a couple month run. Um, so, and the same thing over and over and over every night. So there are highs and lows to both of it. You know, there's magic in, in all of it. And um, I think it's just, for me, I enjoy all of those ways of expressing myself. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, it's just like noticing when I'm missing one thing and, and being wise enough to pull that thing back into my life, you know? Gotcha. So let's get to the the movies. You have a film sure. that you starred and co-wrote in called Take Back, Take Back the Night. Now, is this, uh, the first question I got to ask you, has this been released in the United States yet? Not yet. We're actually on a festival run right now, um, which has been so cool. We, we started writing this almost, I guess, almost five years ago. Mm -hmm. The, the director and I wrote this together. Um, and so even the fact that anyone has seen it at all, as we've started showing it at at festivals has been just really cool and such a strange feeling because it's been such an intimate and insular experience up to this point. Um, So yeah, we're, we're going and sitting with audiences and watching it and doing uh, Q and A's after. And it's been, it's been really cool so far. We've got some laurels under our belt. Um, We've got a couple more festivals coming up in the next couple weeks. Uh, So it's, it's all just, really exciting this is the first time i've ever done this kind of thing as a writer and producer so Mm -hmm. um it's it's very cool to be in this seat how does it feel to you know be part of the writing team is that something you've done before uh since since then i i would say that this project was sort of a boot camp for me in some ways um it's very low budget um small crew and very, a very scrappy, mostly women, and then just like the men in our lives that adore us and and gave their time and their talents to to helping pull this over the finish line. But um, we we set out to write um, a monster movie that plays out as an allegory for victim blaming mm-hmm. in rape culture. So we took a huge bite. You know, this is no it, horror films can be very fun, um, which is why I like being a part of them. But this one obviously had this very important message and something that we thought a lot about how how to make this work, how to make it accessible and palatable um, to the masses. So yeah. um, it's it's been very cool. And I think having done this and it, it having taken so long for it to be finished, you know, the less money there is, the longer it takes. So um, it having taken so long, I think that I cut my teeth in that experience. Mm-hmm. And then I just have had more confidence in the last couple of years to 
to dive into other things that I find interesting and yeah. And now we've seen horror throughout the decades uh, be used a lot of times for social commentary and important issues like what you just described. Do you think, uh, why do you think that is? Do you think horror is just a good outlet to, like George Romero was doing it back in the 60s with uh, Night of the Living Dead and it, it's continued throughout the decades? Yeah, there, there are countless examples. I think, um, I don't know, it's the escapism, right? It's you, you look something horrible in the face and then you get to leave it in the movie theater, you yeah. know? So in this instance, we specifically wanted to write about, or we wanted to make a story about the horror of what happens after an assault, mm -hmm. because obviously a lot of, there's been a lot of attention paid to um, the horror of assault. Yes. And that can land in many different ways with, with victims or non-victims and this we just wanted to sort of bring to the light all of the ways that this can be a, a truly horrific experience in the wake of the attack and so um yeah we we both uh, gia elliot and i the director mm -hmm. and my co-writer we both uh we had started a, a feminist book club together many years ago and so we were talking about these issues a lot and sort of passing these kinds of stories around. And we thought, well, what if, you know, what if the, what if the monster is just that, you know? So, uh, you know, taking the PTSD after an assault case, uh, whether it mm -hmm. be rape or whatever, horrible like that. And here you- Or a, a, a school shooting, you yeah. know, it can be any of these yeah. things, yeah. And now you, I mean, that's horror in itself. Now you want to throw that cinematic horror into it, into the writing. How difficult was it for, you know, you being the co-writer to actually get those ideas on paper and ultimately on the screen? You know, this was like a very, um, again, it took a long time to make, but part of the gift of that is that there was a lot of space and time to evolve and to experiment. Um, especially at the beginning, before we had gone and found investors, it was just um, me and Gia and our co-producer, uh, Kwanzaa Gooden, who we call her our little uh, Swiss Army knife. She she knew how to do sound. She knew how to light. Um, you know, so it was literally the three of us in alleyways in Los Angeles, in downtown L.A., mm -hmm. um, just trying to pick up shots and and essentially we we had this sort of broad stroke of an idea i think we probably had a script written um and we went to shoot a trailer to try to get some money and by the time we got money on the table a little bit of money on the table all these ideas started getting fleshed out and and truly over the course of i think we probably shot and reshot for two or three years wow um so you know we would shoot something and if it didn't work in the edit in, in the larger sense, we'd be like, okay, let's try again. You know, what, what would work here, you know? So, um, and luckily our investors gave us the the space and time for that. You know, we didn't have anybody chomping at the bit and telling us like, where's my movie. It was just, we, we were lucky enough to partner with people that believed in enough in what we were doing and knew how difficult this task is mm -hmm. as a low budget feature film. Um, 
that they gave us the space and time. So yeah. um, one of one of the executive producers is Marcus Dunstan, um, and he introduced us to our other investor. So Marcus was the writer and director of the collection, which was mm-hmm. the first horror film I ever did. Um, and so he is he has be, been a, a great friend of mine for over a decade now. And just really cool that now um, this weekend, actually, we're going to the Salem Horror Festival oh, in Salem, Massachusetts. Nice. And so I get to be with um, with Gia and one of the other actresses, Angela Gulner, and then Marcus gets to be there as well. That's a nice um, and just this like really cool full circle moment. Yeah. Now. You, you know, you got to admit, as an independent filmmaker, uh, to have that freedom, even if it is a three-person crew, uh, there is that, you know, that pressure uh, that is, I don't know how to put this, like relieved off of you, where as a producer, yeah, you're producing, but part of producing is also taking out the trash. You know, everybody pitches in to do their part to get this creative art on the screen uh, sure. How do you feel about that? Do you do you find it exhilarating as opposed to working on a studio film or something that to has... take out the trash? <laughs> just having the, the 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 freedom like your investors gave you to just be creative and get the scene right and not have that yeah. that time. I mean, I, on I you. think we were I think we were in a really special circumstance. I don't think a lot of people necessarily get that. Um, I will say. I don't think I was a very good producer in the first year or two. You know, I I, I had never done it. I, I am a highly organized, um, pretty OCD person, and I love a spreadsheet. So it, <laughs> like, came naturally to me. But um, I, I think I learned how to assert myself and to voice when I thought something worked and when it didn't. And it's difficult, especially when you're a very small team and you're a small team of really good friends. It's, it's difficult to take out the trash. Um, I will say, I think that going even in subsequent jobs since then, when I've gone back to just acting, um, I, I find this part of me misses, um, having a scope of the bigger picture. Like my brain really loves, knowing the whole story and knowing not even like being in control or telling people what to do, mm-hmm. but like, um, and maybe that is a control issue, but it just, just knowing how things are supposed to lay out. And, and I also like, I see the big picture and then I see the minutia of what needs the priority of what needs to happen right now, what can happen tomorrow, you know? So I really enjoy that part of it. I enjoy making a schedule. I enjoy casting. Mm-hmm. So, um, the j- jobs I've had since then where I just show up and I sit in my trailer all day and then I go and do my part, obviously grateful. And I, and I love that as well, but I have found myself being like, oh yeah, I forgot that this is what it is to just act yeah. as opposed to act and produce and, and write and cast and, you know, yeah. wear all of the hats, which is to be, truth be told, it's too many hats. That's a like, lot of no work. one should be doing, no one should be doing all of those things. <laughs> But um, but I do enjoy being involved in, in the daily of it, for sure. Let me tell you something. Uh, since I've started doing this a year and a half ago and all the amazing people I met, one of the, you know, I call mentors of mine as they navigate me through this entertainment world, uh, told me this, and it, and it stuck with me. OCD 
is like a superhero power in this industry yeah. if you use it properly. Yeah. So I told that's always stuck with me and I have OCD as well. I'm a very organized, detail oriented person. And if it's yeah. used properly, you know, it can be. Yeah, you have to use it for good exactly. and not evil, for sure. I'm like, I've definitely been that actress. Um, and I think about this, like, in retrospect, where I, and I know I'm annoying because I'm like, uh, actually, uh, th this shirt had blood on it right here. And, you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be doing continuity checks on myself to people who are like clearly professionals. And they're like, calm down yeah. we you know you don't have the shot list like we know what we're doing but um it's, yeah it's, I, it's relinquishing that control to somebody else yeah uh, so uh now let's get to the start of your horror career and the collection sure. uh very popular franchise in fact you are set to appear in an upcoming third film uh yes. before we continue has that been shot is it in pre-production what's the phase of that if you could say i yeah i don't i'm not sure like legally what is allowed to be out there but um i think it's common knowledge that we we did start shooting okay. uh we got we got about halfway through the shoot this was a couple years ago now um and then we went on hiatus for nondescript um financial issues at the time, things have come to light since then that I think it's going to, um, I'll just say, I think it's going to take a bit of time to get back on track, but there, everyone is planning to, to finish this, make, to make this film. And I think from what I've, from what I've heard, it, it won't be the film we were shooting. It'll be an entirely different one, but in a great way. Awesome. So, awesome. Yeah. Marcus has been very good to, mm -hmm. Um, to employ me over and over again for many years. So <laughs> now yeah. going back to the collection, it came out in 2012. Uh, mm -hmm. You just said it was your first horror movie. Uh, before that, what were your thoughts on horror in general? Were you a fan of the genre? Uh, did you become a fan of the genre after doing the collection? I will say, um, in general, I had watched a lot of horror as a kid, and I, I remember just like reaching a breaking point with it. My my best girlfriend growing up to this day, one of my best girlfriends, um, she was obsessive. I mean, I think one of the last ones I watched was Candyman, and I, I was probably in my early teens, and I remember just being like, I actually hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, this is not an enjoyable experience for me. We watched Blair Witch, and we lived out in the boonies um, in in Ohio and she wanted to go camp out oh, in the God. woods behind the house after, you know, she was like an adrenaline junkie in this way. And I was like, I, I want you to like me, but I don't think this is, <laughs> I don't think this is my thing. And then I took a huge break from it. And I remember um, when I was cast in the collection, Marcus sending me all these references um, of, of things that he wanted me to see before we went and shot so that I would have, you know, color references and, and mood and vibe, you know, he's just like, he's such a visual artist in that way. And, mm -hmm. you know, when we'll go, we'll go to shoot a scene and um, there'll be 30 people on set and he'll, he'll go to set it up and he'll start playing a song. And as he describes the scene, you know, the song plays out perfectly through 
the the mood and the vibe he's trying to create. So he's he's thought about it all, and he set me up so beautifully um, before I even got to set with like references and what he was going for. But I remember fast forwarding through most of them in the daytime, you know, <laughs> peeking through my fingers because I was just like, I don't, I hate this stuff. But I think it was, I think it was why I was able to at least feel good about my performances in those films because part of it like i actually was scared like it's obviously fake we're we're pretending but you have to be able to trick yourself into um at least for me i have to be able to trick my body and my mind into a place of real fear otherwise like i feel like we you can always tell right especially in horror you can yeah. tell when somebody's pretending to be afraid yeah. fear is this like primal thing that we can you can smell it even mm -hmm. through the movie screen. Yeah. So for me to actually be afraid, I think like not having that background was better for me because there was real, um, it allowed my imagination to run a little more wild. Uh, actually just this last year, I went back with a friend and we watched, we watched Halloween, Freddy, uh, I mean, Chucky, like I had never seen any of these, like the basics, you know, so are you able to really, tolerate them a little better now? Absolutely. And it was so fun. And it was like, I had so much like joy and admiration for the art form too, after being a part of so many horror films at this point, and just being able to be like, wow, especially in that time period, it's like the practicals that they had to use and the tricks and like the creativity of these people to come up with a way to really scare people yeah. when, you know, CGI wasn't around and, um, the tricks up your sleeve were just more minimal. You had to get a lot more creative. So I loved it. Yeah. Now, um, you know, the way you described how you got into the role, uh, you know, th that sort of method type of acting, is that the type of actor you would describe yourself as uh, to really bring the authenticity to the role that you're playing? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's more just that, and I guess, I mean, may, maybe method is the word, but I think it's more like, I can't fake cry. And because the roles I usually play are some sort of a, um, like a very badass damsel in distress mm -hmm. or somebody who's like a damsel in distress who finds their strength in that moment. That's sort of, it tends to always be my through line. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of emotion. It's it's not just fear. It's and fear isn't always crying, obviously, but no. it's like I can't just make tears come up, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's a very physical process to be afraid. Your heart is racing, your breath is fast. And those things, even if you're conjuring them, for me, they usually take me to an emotional place. So um I'm I'm messed up when I'm on set for a horror film. Like the the collection, I I will fully say that I had PTSD for months coming out of that film wow. because I had tricked my body into this fight or flight place. And I I remember like the AC would kick on in my apartment for months after that and I would jump out of bed like some you know, like someone was there to kill me. Wow. So um I don't know how healthy that is, but <laughs> It gets results. Now, going back to Take Back the Night, uh, in the film you made an interesting choice of having all characters except Jane identified by their status uh, or occupation. 
What was the thinking behind that? Uh, I think more so we were just trying to make it, um, everything was meant to feel more general and like every man. So even Jane, her name is from Jane Doe, you know, like, and that's her, her Instagram handle is Jane Doe does like she's an influencer. She's an artist and an influencer. So, um, her sister, we just named her sister in the script, the, the detective, we named her detective. Uh, so it was more just about the ambiguity was more just to paint this picture of like, this could be anyone and it is anyone and it's everyone. Um, just to make it, yeah, less specific, I guess. Now, so. now making a, a movie about assault victims, uh, what kind of, uh, you know, research, and I would assume this would be very difficult, uh, having to talk to people. Was there any research that you guys did on PTSD after an assault? Yeah, I had, I mean, strangely, I had been uh, researching this particular subject on my own for years before we even started talking about this. It was like, it's just a thing that I, I care a lot about women. And, um, I had, I had been reading books on the trauma and the brain and, uh, trauma and recovery. And all of these things, just like from a psychology standpoint have always interested me. And it kind of honed itself in on uh, assault when I, I not became obsessed, but I became so hung up on the idea that, that we don't understand what it looks like to be a victim of a trauma and the ways that people act, especially in, in the wake of a sexual assault, Mm -hmm. the ways that we expect a victim to look are so contrary to most of the behaviors of a a victim of a trauma. So that just blew my mind. I'm like, well, these people are suffering a trauma and then being traumatized over and over again after this, you know, and so much of that could be alleviated mm-hmm. if the public was just a little more aware, let alone law enforcement, exactly. you know, at the very basic level, the people that are supposed to be protecting us should have a basic understanding of these things. And it's just not, I mean, it's starting to become a part of training, Mm -hmm. but it's a very specialized area of study. Um, I've always thought if I didn't go to school for musical theater, I would go for psychology. So this is just a thing I've always been intrigued by. And, um, and I absolutely think that it should be a part of the basic training for our our civil servants and you see in a lot of movies doesn't matter horror or not uh, filmmakers try to portray let's say ptsd and what they think it would look like uh, and then in reality and it, and it does look it does look like that sometimes you know um and i you know i was on law and order svu i played a, a rape victim like not that I played into those tropes. I, I tried to play honestly into the situation, but we do see it on TV often as somebody who's crying and panicking and freaking out and um, becoming depressed. But a lot of times in, in the wake of these things, people can engage in super risky behaviors because it's this attempt to reestablish safety yeah. by putting yourself in a dangerous situation again. Um, and to the layman you look at that and you go why is my sister 
going out and getting drunk, you, you know, like that seems counterintuitive if you got roofied, but it's this attempt to like reclaim your safety in a space where it was taken from you, mm -hmm. you know, something as simple as that, or the way that you dress, or um, if you're being vocal about your assault, okay, now your attention, now you're yeah. grabbing for attention or whatever. It's all of these things that it's, the most important thing is to know that it can look like a lot of different things. And a lot of times a prosecutor or even a, a detective, the intake officer will throw out a case will completely disregard the woman because she doesn't look the way that she's, they think that she's yeah. supposed to look as a victim. That is absolutely and true. And can't even get past this like initial stage to start addressing the facts. You know, there are backlogs of rape test kits all across this country. Um, I mentioned SVU. Mariska Hargitay is like an actual real life hero mm -hmm. who has devoted her, her fame, her celebrity status, her power in that industry to shedding light on and even making a documentary about this backlog kit and starting a foundation, the Joyful Heart Foundation, um, to raise money and victim awareness and resources for these people. It's like, if you have the nerve to come forward and report to the police, which is a very small amount of people that even mm -hmm. feel that they can do that, then at that point, you know, you have to go through this traumatic experience of getting a rape kit yeah. and then it can sit, it can sit in a warehouse for years. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the quickest right now is like 18 months for a rape kit to get processed. That Think about I did that. Not know. That's, that's horrific. Wow. Like that is horrific to me. And <clears throat> that's, these are the things that we were talking about when we started uh, writing and, and wanting to make this film or just like the many ways that, uh, a victim's resources are systematically stripped away from them after an assault. That is, man, 18 months. That that blew me away. Yeah. <laughs> I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, that's like the standard. Now, moving forward in your career, you know, when it comes to writing or producing, do you uh, want to tackle similar or other social issues out there? Of course. Um, I don't. I don't think that I'm... I don't think that's where my writing impulse comes from um, necessarily. I I think I'm just taking things as they as they interest me at this point. Um, I'm writing a feminist rom com right now, you know, so maybe like a completely different swing. But um, and I'm also working on an animated series, so just trying to trust that I know what I need when I need it and and go with things that really interest me. Obviously, I have a passion for this. I've, for years, I've wanted to go back to school and actually get a degree in forensic psychology to be able to become a victim's advocate, you know, not not in lieu of being an actor, but yeah. I just, I feel like there's a chapter of my life that still awaits me where I would have a, a higher education in this in this thing that I've been interested in for a lot of years and maybe be able to put it to use in in some other way do you feel so. though that the platform that you have now through your music and acting and filmmaking that you have a a larger voice now than if you were to become a single you know a victim's advocate where absolutely yeah where you, you know if you become a, vi a victim's advocate and you're helping one person that one person matters that one person is important 
the position you're in now, you can affect a wide range of people. Uh, how do you balance? I mean, when you're trying to figure that out, how, how does it work? Yeah, I don't know. You? That's that's been a lot of the last, you know, the pandemic. You sit alone a lot, thinking about what you want to do with your life and um, what really matters. And this actually, this film coming out right now when it is is really good timing for me because it's it's reminding me of like I said it's been a long time in the making and it's it's reminding me of why I wanted to make it in the first place and it's allowing me to merge these two passions um, and hopefully that yeah hopefully understanding that subject matter better even having a higher degree in it or not just you know making sure I'm I'm up to date and educated on it and and reading materials on it it allows me to speak um, with some sort of authority on it, yeah. you know, you knowledge is power. And in this case, it's like, it's very important to get it right. Gia and I have talked about that a lot, even just coming into these festivals. It's like, I need to brush up on this because this is too important to be throwing out flippant st statistics. Mm -hmm. It's like, you have to know what you're talking about. It's, it's more than just caring about it. It's, it's getting across the most pertinent information and raising awareness and what yeah. yeah now it sounds like you guys are having a lot of fun going through this uh festival circuit uh oh it's incredible has the movie been picked up by a distributor yet or are you still shopping it around um we are we are not currently in a distribution deal but um i i'm super confident we're getting such good feedback from this um and and truly even without that it's like you know, I've had a couple conversations with people that are like, this is exactly how it felt after my assault, you know, and that enough, like one conversation like that, I'm like, oh my God, yeah. this was worth it. The whole thing was worth it to, to be able to talk to people on a level and like meet them in a place where they feel seen, you know? And when you were making this movie uh, with such an important, you know, commentary and social issues, uh, is there anything you guys did on the set maybe to lighten the mood when it was getting a little too intense? Uh, you know what I mean? When it was getting a little too dark and you guys needed that mental break for your own sanity? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun shooting this. It was really hard and there are very few characters in it. I, it's, much of the film is just my face on screen and so that's a huge pressure and I know that as a producer I felt and as an actor I felt like torn and I'll I'll, I'll be watching the movie and be like oh I, I wasn't there in that moment you know like I can I can identify when I was like distracted and mm -hmm. not being able to be fully present as this character or whatever but um, I think because I was working with so many of my friends um, I just didn't ever feel unsafe, you know? I had to go to dark places and I had to like be in a heavy space, but there was never, you know, even even on like the collection, and that was that was a boot camp for me in itself. I had never played a lead in a film. Um, and I Marcus set the bar so high for me in that regard because you, he let me know. You knocked it out of the park. Well, thank you. But I, I attribute a lot of that to him letting me know before I even got to set that I was in a safe place and that like no ticking clock, no amount of money was ever going to put me in a position where I, 
I was going to be pushed too far, okay. you know? Um, and, and I think that having experiences like that, I learned to ask it for myself, yeah. you know? So, so it was a really, um, yeah, it was a difficult shoot in the sense that it was not a lot of money and it was a, a, a few people doing a lot of jobs, but my God, to, I don't think I've ever felt more surrounded by people that cared, yeah. you know, most, most of the people involved just wanted to be there because they thought it was an important idea and wanted to get it across. Angela Gullner, who plays my sister in the film, um, and she's going to be at the festival this weekend. You know, we asked her a million times over the course of three years, hey, can you go do this pickup shot? And just, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, no, no questions asked. So um, I actually got the pleasure of shooting a film with her that she produced this last February in the pandemic in a blizzard in Denison, Texas. Wow. Um, so we're just, we're just like keep finding ourselves in these situations where you have to become very scrappy. Um, but she's become a great friend through that process too. And she's a brilliant creative and incredible writer. So I'm, I'm just, I come out of it feeling super grateful that I got to be a part of this thing with, with super impassioned people. What was your experience uh, doing a project with a co-writer as opposed to writing something on your own? Um, I prefer it. I think uh, <laughs> writing on my own, you know, I've been working on something for the last year or so, and it's it's great, but at some point it's just, I, I like pinging things off of people. And um, I always find that the that kinetic energy that gets going, even if you don't always agree, you know, if you choose the right people to, to draw in close, um, nobody takes it personally. It's for the good of the story. I don't know. I just, I enjoy that so much more than sitting at a blank page and just trying to will myself to, <laughs> to get the thing in my head onto, onto the paper, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I always love asking that question to co-writers. I mean, it seems like how do two people get in sync? to put together a single screenplay. And it always fascinates me to hear the different processes that go into play and everybody uses their own process. Did you yeah. guys have a special process for this film? You know, Gia and I, um, and her husband is a, a great screenwriter, uh, David Elliott. So he was an awesome resource and gave us a lot of guidance in terms of mapping things out. So, you know, we would, we would map out the story and then interestingly enough, and I, I haven't written this way since, but she would go to her corner and take pages one through 12 or what, you know, I'm going to write this scene, you write this scene, we'll send it to each other and we'll meet back up. And that worked great for us. You know, um, nice. we, we both trusted each, we found the voice of, of this person and, and of the film early on. And I think we just trusted each other to, to fill in those spaces. Um, some of the stuff I'm writing now, you know, I have to be in the same room with these people because we work better that way. Mm -hmm. And somebody will shout out an idea, somebody else. And I'm, you know, I'm more like the dictator or I'm, I'm the one sitting in and typing it out while everybody else shouts out ideas. So it just, yeah, it, it varies from partner to partner. And I've, I've really enjoyed that. I like, I like the energy of kind of adapting to whoever you're working with. So it's a great way. I mean, it's a great collaboration. Now the film one, Let's see the nightmare prize at Popcorn Frights. Uh, yeah, that was our that was our um, world premiere, which was awesome. And getting an award, uh, 
what were your feelings? You're like, wow, you know, we did something special here. What were your feelings on that? Yeah, those those guys were amazing. They really took care of us. They they made us feel um, like our our film was in good hands, and the reception was amazing. I mean, I think we had like an 11 p.m. screening on a Friday night, you know, and people stayed after to to chat and then to get posters signed. So it's just awesome leaving a theater at 2 a.m. and being like, yeah, we like we were people really wanted us to be here and they they responded to what we put up on the screen. Um, and then we've I mean, we've done genre blast and we did horrible imaginings since then. And Gia got best director. We got best cinematography and I got best lead actress at that nice. uh, festival. So the, I, I can't describe to you what it's even like having people watch it. Like it's so it's such a raw, vulnerable feeling. And then to have positive feedback at all is just it's incredible. It really is. You just feel like, wow. Whew, you know, five years later, like, okay, it's landing with somebody at least. Yes. So now, yeah. uh, as a woman in the entertainment industry, an industry that, you know, since its beginning has been male dominated. Um, mm -hmm. Do you feel that that's starting to change and more, fe more women are becoming directors, executives, uh, higher up, uh, in the filmmaking stage or do you think or do you think it's stagnant i feel like it's shifting i feel like i think it's gonna be a long slow process but i think at the very least space has been made for other people's stories um lgbtqia people of color women like all of these were sort of on the back burner they weren't the priority they were far few and far between and now um it's you know it's becoming a requirement to make space for those voices mm -hmm. and I, yeah i think i think we'll we'll see right you know me too was only a couple years ago yeah. and and the the repercussions of that are hopefully going to be long and far and wide so um yeah i'm I I would say I'm feeling it, but I think just personally, um, it felt like maybe permission uh, where before I thought I didn't have it. So yeah, yeah. Now, how about the horror industry? Do you think that's becoming more diverse, uh, not just for women, but uh, people of color, different heritages, nationalities? It's uh, the horror industry has been very whitewashed for a long yeah. time and uh you know and african-americans they you know a lot have come out and said well i don't want to be in a horror movie where i'm gonna die in the first 15 minutes and just an example yeah. so do you think the horror industry is becoming more diverse as well i mean i don't i don't think there's any facet of this industry that is not going to be touched by this i mean everything Jordan Peele has rolled out in the last couple years, you know, not only is it uh, new faces and new stories, but it's incredible filmmaking. Yeah. And, you know, we, so there's just no denying that, um, that that's valuable, you know? So I, again, I think it's going to be a long and slow, uh, slow road, but. You think it's on the right path? I hope so. I think you would probably know better than I. Again, I'm not I'm not 
an aficionado in the way that you are. Well, so let me put it to you this way. Uh, when I started doing this, you know, a year and a half ago, I'm 47. I was 45. I actually did not realize how whitewashed the horror genre is until I started doing this show. Yeah. When really. I started reaching out to guests and I'm like, wait a minute, there's yeah. a lack of diversity here. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so it, it was a, it was an eye opener for me. Now going back to the collection franchise, when you got that role, did you uh, see the first one at all before doing the second one? I watched it in fast forward with my eyes closed. Like I really did. I, um, yeah. I mean, I, I watched enough to know like, what's the story, what's the vibe, you know, doing my homework and my research, but I can, I can say even now, like even watching the collection now is like hard for me. It's, it's that like the, the violence is not, um, it's not really my cup of tea, you know? And I like, I don't know. I like horror comedy. I like a psychological mm -hmm. horror. Um, I like Asian horror films for some reason. Oh, they're awesome. Those, like those tend to be super violent, yeah. but for whatever reason, like they don't like connect with me on that. I'm not as afraid of them. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe there's like a different, art to it um i'm with just you with... on the psychological part i mean blood guts and gore that doesn't i'm like yeah okay nice we've seen it yeah uh give me a nice psychological character based thriller or horror and with an okay. awesome story i mean that's that's what i'm down for i just watched uh midsummer again oh my like, god that, that's recently. that's and a complex movie i'm so excited though i was excited to show it to my friend because i was like no this is scary but it's not it's not scary mm -hmm. close your eyes scary yeah. it's like it's like dig into your soul scary you know which and what makes that movie so something. great is after you're done with it you're you're questioning man that was scary but what exactly about it was so scary? You you, yeah. you can't answer it. Yeah. Uh, now, you said you watched, you went back and you watched all the Halloween movies and the Freddy movies. Uh, you know, did you become a fan of, like, any of the Halloween movies or the Nightmare on Elm Street movies? I watched the first Halloween movie. Okay. And I think I had seen, probably when I was a teenager, I think I watched, like, Halloween H2O or whatever came out when I was you know, 15. Um, but yeah, I mean, I loved all of them. I think, I think this, the season is upon us, you know, for me to get back into my, into my research. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm officially a fan. I, I think that it's a, it's a favorite, like, especially like a hangover pastime mm -hmm. for whatever reason, when I'm like, I don't want to do anything today. I'm like, I think I'll sit and be scared. Like that's draw the blinds. Let's do this. You know? So now, uh, you know, to the collection again, I think that's a, it's, it's only been two movies, but uh, a third one is long overdue. And I'm glad that, you know, we're going to get one eventually. Uh, what are your thoughts overall on the front on, on those two movies? Do you think it's a good story putting aside the horror, the scary aspect of it? Do you think it's a yeah. fascinating franchise so far? You know, it's, I'm going to speak from inside the franchise, so it's it's difficult, but I, I think um, 
as an actor and as a viewer of it, it's I got such a cool opportunity to play um, like a very strong woman. So, and I, especially knowing Marcus so well after all this time, I know that he loves writing that. Mm -hmm. He loves writing a woman who you think is going to be overtaken, who then ends up saving the day. Um, So in that regard, it was such a cool experience for me as a young actor. Um, But then I've seen in his writing over and over again since then that he loves that and he loves uh, building women up in that way. So I'm looking forward to the third one because I know he has like awesome plans Mm -hmm. for that character for me um, in terms of making her her story come full circle. And he's, you know, he's adamant and hellbent on on tying this story up in in such a way that that they all these people deserve yeah, you know yeah uh would you say the collection has been the most physically challenging role that you've ever done uh yeah yeah for sure the all horror films are physically challenging um even even blood-sucking bastards which was a horror comedy you know i had to learn a bunch of like stunt fight stuff um and it's, it's a lot of fun but being scared is exhausting. It's physically exhausting. It requires like attention in your entire body for long periods of time, you know, for, and I, I feel like my memory of that shoot, especially because I had never held a responsibility like that before the collection, mm-hmm. I was very nervous. I didn't know what I was capable of. I knew, I knew what I was capable of emotionally um, in a scene but and like maybe in a play but i didn't know if i could do it for a month you know what i mean yeah. so i got down there and was just very determined to prove myself but also um 16 hour days of just full body tension and then uh i would just you know we'd go on lunch break and i would sleep for i would sleep until they knocked on my trailer door again because I had to like recharge in a real way. It was. Did you say that? It was, would you it say that it pushed your boundaries and you discovered stuff that you didn't even know about yourself when it comes to acting, new abilities? Absolutely. Oh, it was the it was the best gift the universe could have given me. I mean, I was I think I was a year into my time in LA, um, and in trying to be specifically a film and television actor, and so nothing has ever been that hard again, you know, and anytime anything is difficult, I have this memory and this well to tap into where I'm like, no, I know I can do this and I know how to get there and I know how to stay there and I know how to sustain it and I know how to take care of myself in the meantime. So it was, it was the greatest gift and, and doing it with a team that you knew really cared about you and, and was looking out for you. And uh, it just, it couldn't have been a better setup for my entire career, honestly. Now, we're almost out of time, but, uh, you know, you have some other movies that are coming up. Uh, besides Take Back, Take Back the Night, what else, and The Collected, which we don't know when that's going to be done. Uh, what other stuff should we, we be on the lookout for in regards to you? Yeah, we. so I was talking about Angela Gullner, who plays my sister in Take Back the Night. Um so we, I think they just uh, picture locked on this film that we shot in February. It's a psychological thriller called, right now it's called The Summoned. I think it's going to stay that way, but 
um, really cool, um, low budget, small casting crew. I think it was like 17 of us in this like mansion long cabin mm-hmm. in Texas for a month. So incredible experience people that I've worked with for the last five years. So I was with a team that I really trusted. I'm so stoked to see how this has turned out. Um, and then today a movie called distancing socially came out on, uh, I think on all streaming platforms or at least Amazon and, and Google play. Um, and this was one that I had the, the privilege of shooting like six months into the pandemic wow. It was all shot on, on, um, it was also shot, uh, socially distanced or the director was, you know, on a zoom call and they shipped us the cameras. And so it all takes place over, over zoom calls. Nice. Um, and it's got Sarah Levy and Alan, Alan Tudyk are in that. Um, but that came out today. So yeah, stuff's, stuff's popping. It's happening. It's cool. I mean, like you have done such a wide spectrum of stuff. Like you've been on the social network, you've done big studio films, you've done independent films, Do you like to keep that variety going as your career progresses? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think I'm definitely in a, in a new chapter right now where I've, I've allowed myself to, like I said, given myself to be in, in this role of a, a creator in a different way in film and television. So I'm a, you know, I'm writing and I'm producing and I'm looking forward so much to, to doing that more because I really feel at home there and nice. um and it's opening up this space for me to play roles that I really want to play cuz I'm writing them. So um yeah, I I'm just I'm stoked to be what in can, a what, in a driver's seat. What more can you ask for? Emma, yeah. this has been a fun hour. Thank you so much for Thank being you. our guest and sharing about Take Back the Night. Guys, keep a lookout for it. We don't know when it's coming out yet, but definitely I'm going to be checking it out when it does. Uh, Any final thoughts you want to share? No, I'm super grateful. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being our guest. And I want to thank all of our viewers for tuning in. Thank you to Emma again. Guys, stay safe. Till tomorrow, on behalf of Emma and myself, stay walking. Good night. Thanks, guys.